Iube Domine benedicere, nos cum pole pia benedicat Virgo Maria. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, Queen of all hearts. Pray for us. Saint Dominic. Pray for us. Saint Francis. Pray for us. Saint Louis Marie de Montfort. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Going back to that title, which is the theme of our weekend, Cause of Our Joy. Let's linger a minute with that little word, our, again. Because it is, in fact, a bit more inclusive than I've let on. And you could rightly look at me and say, Father, come on, you've pretty much named everybody. Who's missing? Oh, but I did leave somebody out. We have to also consider the joy of the Lord. And there is something very important here, this idea of Our Lady as being the vessel of the Almighty's joy, which we need to linger with. When Gabriel comes to Mary and he greets her, and he names her, full of grace, Gabriel does not say, Hail Mary. Gabriel says, Hail, full of grace. This is heaven's name for Mary. This is the Lord's name for Mary. The world knows her as Mary. But the greeting of heaven names her, full of grace. Let's just linger with that idea for a moment. Full of grace. And a couple questions at the risk of being silly. When something is full, is there room for anything else? Think of what your hearts are often full of. Think of what your life is filled with. And how because our hearts are so full of doubt, resentment, insecurity, there's often precious little room for grace, is there? Oftentimes, our lives lack blessing, not because the Lord isn't giving it, but because we have no room for it. Think for a second of how full your time can be and how difficult it is to get a few minutes just for yourself, let alone a few non-exhausted minutes that you can turn to the Lord. It's not that we have no time. It's that our time is filled. And because it's filled, there's no room for grace. Not so the virgin. Not so the woman, the woman that the Lord has given us. For her time, her life, her very self is filled too, but not with resentment, not with needless distraction, not with insecurity, not with passing fancy, but with grace. How remarkable is that? 
Just to consider that for a moment. And if Our Lady is filled with grace, who did the filling? That would be the Lord. Because it's not like the Holy Land had little filling stations you could go to and get topped off on grace. The Lord did the filling, and when Gabriel came, she was still again. How remarkable. Filled with grace, and she remained full of grace. What is grace? A simple answer is grace is divine help and divine favor. What would it be like if your life was filled with the help of God? If you were filled with divine help where the Lord across your life in every relationship, every activity, every thought had filled you with his help. Boy, living a Christian life sounds a lot easier that way, doesn't it? <laughs> but note this idea. Uniquely, she is filled not with obstacles to living her faith, but with the help she needs to remain faithful. But we, we who like to decide for ourselves, choose for ourselves, think for ourselves, set our own way, shy away from the idea of anyone helping me. Because then I have to depend. Then I have to rely. Then I have to trust. And yet she is filled with divine help and divine favor. What an interesting expression, because one of the other translations, full of grace, hail, highly favored one. Well, what is favor but good pleasure? So again, let me ask you a silly set of questions for a moment. Let's play a thought experiment, OK? You have an unlimited budget and unlimited access to what you need and desire, OK? Obviously, we've left the real world for a moment. <laughs> and you are going to build a house. Would you build your house where you didn't want to live? No. Would you build your house in a place that was just OK? Or would you build your house in that place where you most want it to live? That's what you would do, right? And as you're building your house, you're going to design it. Would you design a house that is smaller than you want it? No. Would you design a house that wasn't laid out the way you want it? Or would you design a house that pleased somebody else that wasn't you but you didn't like? <laughs> or would you design a house according to your wishes in the way that was most pleasing to you? Good. And now it's time to build the house. As you build this house, would you use cut-rate materials if you could afford the best? Would you use materials that you were allergic to? Would you use materials that weren't appealing to you? Or would you seek out those materials that were most pleasing to you? OK. And having built your house, you need to furnish it. 
Would you let somebody you didn't know pick out the furniture? Would you furnish your house according to the opinions of strangers? Would you arrange your house in a way that didn't please you? Would you bring into your house that which didn't please you? Or would you only bring into your house what pleased you? Assuming you have the cooperation of your spouse. In fact, since it's our imagination, would you only bring into your house only those things that were most pleasing to you? Good. Do you think God is any different than you are? See, the only difference is the Lord does have an unlimited budget. And the Lord does have unlimited access. But if he's going to build himself a house where he is going to live among us for nine months, would he build that house in any way other than the way that is most pleasing to him? Would he fill that house with anything that he did not delight in? Or would everything that he put in this home be arranged in the way that is most pleasing to him, most satisfying to him, most delightful to him? If we know enough to do that, how much more so would the Lord, who can do exactly that, her name is Mary, full of grace. Heaven looks at her with nothing but delight. For what is in Our Lady is all that which is most pleasing to the Lord. She is his treasure and his possession. And he will take his pleasure abiding within her as he comes into the world. The first place where the Lord Jesus dwells among us is not Nazareth, it's not Israel, it's not the Holy Land. It's Mary. She is the true Holy Land of the Lord. This is why in reflecting on Our Lady, St. Louis de Montfort refers to her as the new paradise, the new Garden of Eden, from whose rich soil the new Adam is formed. What a remarkable image. This idea that the Lord who comes to us who have fallen from paradise comes into the world by first creating a new paradise, filled with all that delights him, filled with all that is pleasing to him, filled with that which gives him joy. And her name is Mary. And he is pleased, not merely obliged, pleased to abide within her, to dwell within her, to rest within her. Cause of our joy the repository of the joy of God, the repository of the joy of heaven, that one who holds within her all that the Lord finds most pleasing,
pleasing. Small wonder then, from the beginning of the church, the saints have pointed to Our Lady as that one who shows us what it is to be pleasing to the Lord, favorable in his sight. This is important. This is important because this possession of the Lord, the secret garden of the Lord's own delight, his private possession, that place where he is pleased to take his rest, he is also pleased to share with you. How remarkable is that? This is what devotion to Mary implies. That that one in whom the Lord has taken his delight, that one in whom the Lord has been pleased to dwell, that one who is his uniquely favored possession, he is pleased to share with you. And so when Father de Montfort and others write about devotion to Our Lady, they speak of it as a singular grace and a gift that is given to us from the hand of the Most High himself. Not as some optional element of our faith and practice that we can take or leave, but as a singular gift given in love from the heart of God himself. What a remarkable idea that is. What a beautiful idea that is. And let me underscore that again. Let me stress that because this cannot be emphasized enough. Devotion to Mary is a grace. It's not an achievement. It's not something that we can acquire just by saying, I'd like to get it. It is something that must be given to us and that we must receive. And if we want to grow in it, if we want to deepen in it, we have to do what is necessary to grow in grace, which means we must prayerfully request it. We have to pray for it. We have to petition the heart of the Lord for it because he is the source of that gift. Why is there so little devotion to Mary sometimes in the church and in the world? because we haven't got the memo that we need to pray for it, that we need to ask for it, that in humility we need to receive it. It is not a thing to be taken for granted, but a gift and a treasure to be sought. Why is that? Think of those with whom you would share the most precious things in your life. Who would they be? Would it be strangers? Or would it be those you've come to trust, love, and respect? And in sharing them, you would share them with those you thought would receive and value your gift, would you not? Think about what we just said. If the Lord then, if the Savior will share his mother with you, think of what that says about how he views you. Think of the intimacy into which he is calling you and inviting. What an idea that is. This is the great difference. And the thought of an intimacy like that with the Lord, if it doesn't fill us with joy, I don't know what will. Note that idea. We rejoice when the Lord is with us. 
And the Lord now says, I invite you into my relationship with my mother. He does that first by sharing his life with us. And that sharing is complete and thorough, and it includes his relationship with his mother. We don't have Mary because she gives us Jesus. We have Mary because Jesus gives us Mary. It is Jesus who gives us Mary. That has been true from the garden. When the Lord turned to Adam and said, I will give you thee, woman. When Isaiah spoke to Ahaz and said, oh, the Lord will give you a sign. He will give you the virgin who will conceive. It is always the Lord who gives. But he gives himself as well in this way. And so that we know we may fully possess him and his life, he gives us his mother. And so it is dying on his cross. What does the Lord say to the beloved disciple? Behold your mother. But what does he say right before that? Very good. Behold your son. Note the order. Note the order because it's vitally important. The Lord, dying on the cross, turns to his mother, indicating the disciple whom he loves. We're a little too quick to say, and that's all of us. And what I mean by that is we don't pause over that notion of the disciple for whom the Lord has a particular love. Oh, that includes all of you. But think about what that just said about you. With a particularly sharp love, the Lord turns to his mother and says, that one is your son. And what does Mary do? She receives the gift that the Lord has given. So what happens at the foot of the cross is not that Jesus gives Mary to you. He gives you to Mary. These are the last words that Jesus ever says to his mother in the deposit of faith. Behold your son. Behold your child. Behold your daughter. This is the last thing that Jesus says to Mary. Would she, who treasured everything he said, not treasure this last word? But she can't receive that word without receiving you. Think about that. Before you ever heard her name, before you ever knew the name Jesus, he gave you as a gift to her, as her daughter, as her son. How absolutely remarkable is that? And when Our Lady receives from the Lord, she receives everything. Her reception of you is complete, not conditioned. You know, Our Lady, Our Lady doesn't turn to the Lord and say, well, if they clean themselves up a little bit, sure. <laughs> Our Lady doesn't turn to her son and say, all right, I'll do that, but not that bunch over there. Um, note that this is, um, this is a moment where 
He who is the son of Mary has made you like him in that way. Because after this moment, there is now more than one child of Mary. Until that moment, there was exactly one. How remarkably intimate is this? And only then, only after Mary has received the disciple, does Jesus turn to the disciple and say, behold your mother. But note, she's already his mother. John doesn't get a yes or a no in that. That's already been done. All he can do is accept the gift or not. But she has already accepted him. As we said yesterday, the Almighty is not big on consultation. And so John opening his door to Mary doesn't mean that Mary is now his mother. Jesus has already established that. And he did that by giving John to Mary. What does he ask John to do? See what I have done for you. Recognize it and receive it. And then we hear from that moment the disciple took her into his home. And then we hear in the gospel, and now seeing that everything was now finished. Note, the work of redemption is not done until the disciples are given to the mother. The mother accepts them. And the disciples are told to recognize, see, and embrace what he has done so that the fullness of salvation might be theirs. Even as he dies for us, Mary is part of how he gives himself, how he saves us, and how we receive that salvation. Cause of our joy. Notice how consistent this is. The Lord announces what he will do, and he doesn't. The Lord does something, and he doesn't ask us if we agree. He doesn't ask us if we like it. He doesn't ask us if we want it. He asks us to receive it and to make it our own. Cause of our joy. And so it's here, this idea, this reality, that as the Lord gives us himself, that gift includes his mother. That gift includes a relationship with her, and it's in receiving her that we receive the fullness of all that he has for us. Where do we find the gift? Where do we find the giver? With Mary. How do we embrace the gift and the giver? With Mary. Note the implication for your spiritual life today. If you would find the grace of God, if you would come to know the Lord, you now know the key. You now know the secret. Who is that one who brings me into the fullness of the knowledge of Christ? Her name is Mary. Who is that one who has been filled to overflowing with grace, not just for herself, but for the world? Not just yesterday, but today. Her name is Mary. We now move into the very present tense of that idea of cause of our joy. 
not the cause of something that happened years ago, but the cause of a joyfulness, a goodness, a nearness of the Lord, a fullness of salvation that is with us today, that has never left us. Cause of our joy. And so now we see that Our Lady, because of this unique role she has in the way Christ comes into the world, because of this unique connection she has to the way he saves the world, remains always connected, always related to the way that salvation roots itself in the hearts of those who are saved. The grace of salvation is not given just once, but continually. Continually to this world that stands in need of it. And she is always involved. This is why, then, Father de Montfort, in speaking of Our Lady, uses that odd language of Mary as the new Garden of Eden. The new paradise where man can once again walk in communion with God. That place where the Lord is pleased to take his rest and where he longs to give us a share. And so it is then that the saints will write that those souls who learn to trust Our Lady will begin to experience something wonderful if that trust is great. And so let's think about that for a second. To really trust somebody, you have to surrender a certain amount of control, don't you? As long as I cling to control, I don't have trust. If I need to control everything around me, it's because I don't trust you. And I figure you'll get it wrong. And so note, to really trust, I have to risk being disappointed. I have to risk holding on, and I have to let go. In the spiritual life, I need to let go of my willfulness. I need to let go of my sense that I always know better. I need to let go of my fear that everyone will let me down and disappoint me. I have to let go of my belief that all life has for me is stuff that goes wrong if I don't defend myself. That's a lot to let go of. In the end, I have to let go of my pride. That false sense that I am capable and only I. That false sense that, of course, my way is the best for me or for anybody else. And recognize that there may be one who knows better. And there may be a way that I cannot see. To trust, I have to embrace the fact that I'm limited. Note that that's the opposite of what Adam did in the garden. Yes, I ate the fruit, but the woman that you gave me. <laughs> it's everybody's fault but mine. Of course, if you left me alone, I would be okay because I've got this. And we shudder to think of how much worse things might have been. <laughs> Trust is a different thing. It recognizes that I am limited. 
and I need to depend. And when I do that, I begin to humble myself. There's a risk involved. But it also means I am getting out of my own way. And so when we talk about trusting Our Lady, this is a big part of what is involved. Not I'm asking for something and I trust Mary will get it for me. That's very self-interested. And while that's not bad, we can see how limiting that is. But to really trust Our Lady in the spiritual life means trusting that if I let her be involved in my discernment, if I let her be involved in my serving, if I let her be involved in how I pray, it will become better. Because she is one who knows more than I do. And at this point, at this point, the saints, and among them, St. Louis de Montfort will say, something begins to happen as one's trust in Our Lady increases. And it's this, that trust and our attempts to lay aside our self-interest, our ambition, our pride, when we unite those to Our Lady, in a sense, they begin to break us down. They begin to melt us down. All right? And when we melt ourselves down in a way by pouring ourselves in trust into Our Lady, the Holy Spirit's going to do something. He's going to form us into the likeness of the Son of Mary. And His name is Jesus Christ. Cause of our joy. She is that place where the Spirit of God most readily, most easily molds us into the likeness of Christ. And isn't that what we desire? To be free with His freedom, to love with a love like His, to extend the touch of His mercy to the world around us, to have a life founded on His wisdom. Is that not what we desire? What could be more intimate than sharing His life in that kind of a way? It's the gift you were given at baptism, a sharing in His life. But as Father de Montfort points out, you know, most of us in the church go about this the wrong way. We are talentless and uncoordinated, and we fancy ourselves to be sculptors. And what do we do? We get ourselves a big rock of unyielding pride. And we take out the spiritual hammer and the chisel, and we have a vague idea of who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. And based on our rough idea, we think we're going to sculpt ourselves into his likeness. And so what do we do? Because we don't know what to do, we start grabbing random practices. This novena seems like a good one. This practice seems good. Maybe I'll do a little fasting for a while. But we often do it without any rhyme or reason, don't we? What we're doing is we're picking up the hammer and the chisel and we're taking our best shot. But man, stone is pretty hard. 
So is my heart. Stone is pretty hard, and so is my head. And it's exhausting to hammer away at an object that doesn't cooperate. Because it's not like the lump of granite says, hit me here. This will work. And what happens after time is we get tired, we miss strike, and there goes the nose. And we have to start all over again. Well, Father de Montfort says all too many think that if they just work on themselves a little bit more, they will hammer themselves into the likeness of Christ. And there are very few really talented sculptors, aren't there? Even if you have a perfect picture of Jesus in your mind, which let's be honest, we don't, you don't necessarily have the spiritual talent to reproduce that likeness within you by your own effort. Or Father de Montfort says, you know, there's another way to make a statue. And it requires a lot less labor. Assuming you can get your hands on a really good mold, even a perfect mold, where you don't have to worry about your bad sense or imperfect sense of what the person looks like. What if you had a perfect mold made in complete conformity to the person you wanted to reproduce? Then all you had to do was melt down your material, pour it into the mold, and without all that hammering and exhaustion, you would have a perfect Reproduction. Her name is Mary, because she is where the Holy Spirit produced the God-man, Jesus Christ. It is in Mary that Jesus Christ is made flesh and comes into the world. There is one perfect mold of God, and her name is Mary, cause of our joy. And so this great recommendation across the centuries by the church, turn to Our Lady, but not simply in a shallow way. Not simply turning to her and say, Mary, I need a job. Mary, help my son or my daughter. That's good to do. But that's not really trusting ourselves, is it? But this idea of learning to turn to her as a child turns to his mother. Of turning to her as a subject trusted his queen. To guard him. To guide him. To protect him little by little to surrender ourselves to her care. What happens? Little by little, often without our realizing it, we become pliable. We begin to melt ourselves down. And as that happens, the spirit begins to mold us. And it's no longer my hand swinging the hammer. It's the Lord working on me without my being in charge. All I have to do is work on the trust, work on the surrender, work on the humility, and the Lord will take care of the rest. How remarkably beautiful is that? What a marvelous idea. This is the hidden power of devotion to Mary, because by her help, the Holy Spirit can bring us to this perfection in the spiritual life that we're not going to get to on our own. Cause of our joy. Cause of our joy. And so 
Another way of thinking about it is this. Um, just to give us another biblical metaphor for this, we're still going to keep talking about Mary as a place, okay? So we have Mary as the new Garden of Eden. We have Mary as a mold. Notice how non-personal these images are in some ways. Because they're ways of describing what she does for us. And for men like Father de Montfort, this was important. Because there was a real sense of surrendering myself into her and into her care. And this idea of turning to Our Lady was understood as being solid spiritual ground on which I could stand and not worry about losing my footing. So one of the great examples is this. Mary is a mountain. Mary is a mountain. And devotion to Mary, or growing in devotion to Mary, is like going up a mountain. When you're at the bottom of the mountain, can you see clearly from the top yet? No, okay. And it takes time to climb up a mountain, doesn't it? First step, the spiritual life does require a certain amount of patience. But we're odd creatures, aren't we? We decide we're going to take our faith seriously and we get upset if we're not saints in two weeks. However, there's a curious thing that happens as one begins to climb a mountain. And so let's take an example from Scripture. Jesus takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he, takes, he leads them with him up a mountain. The Lord takes a few. Why these few? We're not entirely sure. But these few he takes with him because they are the ones he desires at that moment. And it's a sign and a reminder for us that this invitation from the Lord to something different and intimate doesn't come to everybody at exactly the same time. But these three, the Lord takes with him. And so note first, this is a climbing that is done in the company of the Lord. It is a climbing that is done at the initiative of the Lord. Peter, James, and John didn't say to Jesus, I bet the view from that mountain is really cool. Let's go up there. The Lord said to them, you may think we're going to that city down the road, but first the three of you are coming with me. And so note here, he pulls them out of their ordinary course to a new ordinary course. And why? Because the real course of their lives is their movement with him. Not their movement where they think they're going, their movement with him. And the Lord then says, now it is time to climb. You know, and as stupid as it is to point this out, when you climb, you go up, don't you? That's important. It is a rising above. How often do we spend our lives looking down? We look down into our problems. We look down into our worries. We look down into the hundreds of things we've got to get done on any given day. And if we look up from those things, we just turn our head and look down someplace else at some other stuff. But most of our lives, our vision 
is from the neck down. We rarely look up, either physically or spiritually. And because we never look up, we never gain perspective. And so note, the Lord doesn't just take them off the path on a new route. He is leading them up. And as they rise higher, what seemed so big on ground level begins to look smaller. Even the noise and the sounds begin to fall away. There's a distance that gets created. All of those things are still right where they left them. They haven't disappeared. But note the difference a little rising makes, a little movement above. The world begins to recede into the background. There are now new sounds or no sound. There are less immediate things blocking my view. Even the air begins to feel different. Growing in devotion to Mary, following after the Lord has this aspect about it. It begins quite simply as a way of beginning to rise above business as usual. It begins to get us up out of my sense of my mission, my sense of everything I need to accomplish, my sense of how my time needs to be parceled out. Note, it doesn't take my problems away. They're still there. But it's a way of beginning now to rise above mere worldliness, following along with Christ. And as they climb and the world recedes, as they move up higher up that mountain, they see further ahead. And one of the things the Christian soul really struggles for today is a place from which it can see further. Because we get so lost. We get so caught up in the affairs of the world around us. And all too easily we allow that world to tell us where to look and to tell us what's important. But as one climbs this mountain, one finds himself able to see further, and one finds himself or herself more and more alone with Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be great to have a mountain like that? Her name is Mary. Her name is Mary. And the effect of climbing this mountain is that as one climbs, one is closer to the Lord with less getting in the way. And one sees further in his company than one would have before. And one's vision isn't clouded over by merely earthly anxiety and concern. And when they get to the top of that mountain, tired as they may be, but note it doesn't happen until they get to the top. The Lord is transfigured before them. And on top of this mountain, high above earthly matters, the Lord reveals the burning, brilliant face of his glory and his goodness to them.
Wouldn't it be great to have a mountain like that? Her name is Mary. One of Father de Montfort's most beautiful expressions about Our Lady is she is that mountain that once we learn to climb, the Lord is transfigured before us there, and he shows us the glorious face of his goodness, cause of our joy. That privileged place where we can meet him, see him, know him, and it is a place that he himself gives us, a place to which he himself leads us, guides us, and lifts us. If we are but willing to climb a ways with him. What a remarkable idea that is. What a beautiful and important idea that is. Because it's one thing to talk about Our Lady and to say wonderful things about her. But all of that is useless if it doesn't spur us to come to know her, if it doesn't motivate us to include her in our spiritual lives, if it doesn't encourage us to begin learning how to grow in devotion to her. Because this is the way that Christ has marked out. You know, and that's vitally important to recognize. We began by talking about, on Friday evening, all of those different ways we try to find consolation, those different directions into which we stretch out our hands, don't we? And yet, in the end, there is only one source of consolation, one real joy that satisfies the human heart, and his name is Jesus Christ. And the way that Jesus Christ, who is the joy that your heart longs for, comes to you and to this world is through Mary, with Mary, in Mary, by Mary. Is Jesus Christ God? You don't sound so sure. <laughs> is, is God perfect? Can God do anything he wants? And if God does anything, will it always be perfect? Good, and Jesus is God. And that means anything Jesus does would have to be perfect, right? Jesus comes into the world in exactly one way. That would have to be perfect, wouldn't it? Or else Jesus isn't God. Let me just pause there for a second. To say that Jesus Christ is God has consequences. And this is one. Her name is Mary. She is the way he gives himself to the world. There is no other way. There's no alternative to the incarnation. This is the perfect way for Jesus Christ to give himself to the world, to you. Now, if the Lord in his perfection shows you his way, who are we to say, Lord, I'd like an alternate route? But we do this. And let's just linger with an idea of St. Louis de Montfort, one of his favorite examples. Because there's a lot of power hidden in this simple example he gives. He says, you know the king is coming to your town and you want to meet the king for whatever reason. You know, he lived 300 years ago in France. They had kings. <coughs> and he said, the king is coming and you want to meet him. 
I am not going to tell you, Father de Montfort says, that you have to take a certain way because I know your heart. And the minute I tell you to do something, you're going to do the opposite. We do that, don't we? Even when we know it's right and it's good for me, the minute somebody tells me I have to do it, my impulse is to do exactly the opposite, even if it hurts me, because we're just odd that way. So Father de Montfort says, I know you love options. I'll give you three. One, you know the road the king is taking to you. Option number one, you could take the king's way. You know, but let's be honest, that's pretty boring, isn't it? You know, the king's way, well, anybody could do that. And so what do we do? We say, I want to meet the king, and we begin consulting with the people we know, our family, our friends, our co-workers, the opinionated guy who lives down the street. And we say, I want to meet the king, and they begin telling us how they would go to the king. And they begin telling us which way we should take, and maybe your Uncle Harry even knows a shortcut. You're laughing, you know my Uncle Harry. <laughs> Option number two, what the world says, what everybody else says. Or you could say, you know, I'm pretty smart. I've got a GPS app or two on my phone, or I can get the grandkids to put one on there. And I could sit down, and I could figure out a way to the king, and I could make a nice stop someplace else, visit a friend, make a nice day out of it. But I could go to the king. Option three, your way. And let's pause right there. Because in every real decision that any one of you will ever make in your lives, there are only ever these three options. However many choices you think you have, there are only ever these three options. The king's way, the world's way, or my way. Those are the only three options there ever are. So let's look at them. The king's way is the safe way because the king protects his way with his army. As much as I love my Uncle Harry, the man doesn't have a standing army. Who protects you on the world's way? Who protects you on your friend's way? Are they going to protect you? Can they keep you safe? And who protects you on your way? As impressive as you guys all look, I don't think any of you is a standing army either. Who keeps you safe? The king doesn't protect your way. And he doesn't protect the world's way. The king protects his way. You know, but hey, safety's not everything. And some people like a little bit of risk. But the king's way is also the direct way. You find the king's way, you get your feet on the king's way, you take it, where does it go? To the king, not to Starbucks, not to Dunkin' Donuts, not to the gas station, it goes to the king. The world's way, Uncle Harry's way. All I can hope is that at some point it comes around and crosses the king's way, hopefully before he passes by. And your way, oh, let's talk about your way. How many of you, this isn't confession, so don't raise your hand. How many of you have ever left home to do something, 
and you got back home later in the day having done five things, none of which was what you set out to do. That's your way. <laughs> okay? It's not direct at all because your way is filled with your hangups, your distractions, your preoccupations, and your fears. Let's not pretend it's anything other than that because we're just lying to ourselves. And the king's way is the fast way. Because as I move to the king, he moves to me. So Father de Montfort's going to say, I'm not going to tell you you have to take the king's way, but I am going to ask you why wouldn't you? Unless you're proud or you're stubborn, or stubbornly proud or proudly stubborn. But there's a fourth point here which is vitally important. Even if all of these three ways eventually got me to the king, only one of them gives the king any honor. And let's pause right there. Because we Christians don't talk about this enough. As much as we make empty statements about all for the glory of the Lord, which we often say when we're congratulating ourselves about something. You ever notice that? Athletes will say that when they celebrate a victory. They never say that when they lose. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. But the issue is never just. And again, with this idea of cause of our joy, it is never just a matter of how do I get to Jesus. It is also a matter of, do I get to him in a way that gives him honor? Do I get to him in a way that really allows me to truly meet him or not? If I take Uncle Harry's way or my way, what do I say to the king? One, I don't need your protection. I'm good. If I take either of these other ways to the king, what am I saying? I know better than you, or you could learn from my Uncle Harry. If I take the king's way, what do I say to the king? I am pleased that you would protect me, and I am honored by that. If I take the king's way, what do I do? I acknowledge the wisdom of his choice. And I say, I am willing to learn from you. See the difference? You see the difference? If my desire is to truly honor the king, his way is the only option. Why am I spending time on this? Because of what I just insisted on. The Lord gives himself to you in one way. And in doing so, He's shown you his way. And we believe we are followers of Jesus, don't we? If you follow somebody, whose way do you walk? Not yours. Now, isn't that interesting? You know, we who love to do it our way, the definition of following is that I walk a way that isn't my way. And what is his way? Through Mary, with Mary, in Mary, and by Mary. 
And if I am serious about following the Lord on that one royal highway that leads to the fullness of life, peace, and joyfulness, then I can do no better than to put my feet on the royal highway of Our Lady because that is the way he has marked out. And if I believe what Scripture says, all thy ways, O Lord, indeed they are perfect, and all of them just. There is none more just nor more perfect than this way, along which our salvation is one, and onto which he has settled us with those words, Behold your mother and along which we can walk secure in his protection and his support until that day climbing this mountain pathway with him, we will have that glorious vision of the blessed light of the goodness of his face. What did we say earlier this morning from the Psalms? Convert us, Lord, and let your face shine upon us, and indeed we shall be saved cause of our joy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.